Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Uh, this is known as the Great Commission. Have you heard of this? Maybe you've heard of this. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It'll be on the screen, on the screen, if you've got it with you, on that screen. If, you have a, if you've got an old school screen, uh, it'll be on that if you can find it. Um, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Before we, before we read, let's pray together. Oh, once again, God, we are we're just grateful to be able to gather here in your presence and to pay attention to you. We thank you that you meet us right where we are. You meet us in our joy, you meet us in our sadness, you meet us in our frustration, you meet us in the mundane, you are there. You are here. So we pray that you would open us up, that you would speak, that we would hear and be changed. Amen. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the very end. <clears throat> then the 11 disciples, 11, not 12, 11, because Judas was doing Judas things. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So glad that's in there. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were like, man, I don't know about this. Then Jesus came to them and said, even to the ones who were not sure about this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We will go that far. You know, as I was thinking about this uh, this week, I was thinking about how, at least according to Matthew, these are the last words that Jesus said to his disciples before, before leaving them, but staying with them when the Spirit comes. Complicated, we won't get into that. Anyway, um, and I was thinking... Uh, about scenes in movies where uh, where someone is is dying and they're they're speaking their last words and, and thinking about how those exchanges are always so powerful and potent and it's like oh my goodness uh, one of my favorite scenes uh, from one of my favorite movies that I haven't seen in a really long time called Tombstone are you familiar with it Tombstone is when Doc Holliday uh, when Doc Holliday dies spoiler. Uh, Movie's old. <laughs> anyway, and I, I watched that scene again uh, this week uh, on YouTube and just caught up in the moment and I start crying at my desk like, and, and just weeping because last words are really important. Um, 
And if you knew that you were about to hear someone's dying declaration, you would sit up and listen, right? Like you would, you would perk up and you'd be like, oh, this is really, really important. Everything in you would drink in whatever it was that was being said, right? You might even, you might even run home afterwards or go somewhere into a quiet place and try your best to write down everything you had so that as, as time moves on and as memory fades, you might be able to, to recall better what was said. Because the last words are really important to the people who are saying them, right? They want to convey the last message of their life, right? They're so important, extremely important. In, in a court of law, someone's last words can, are regarded as so important that they can even be entered into as evidence as an exception to the hearsay rule, right? Because these last words are so important. So now it's true, these aren't Jesus's dying declaration because he's already died and raised from the dead, but he is going to be leaving them soon. So at least according to Matthew, like these, these are some important words. These are the last words. And they're even more important because Jesus has this thing called authority, right? All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So these last words are important because he has authority, not just some authority. He's got all authority in heaven and on earth. Think about the word authority for a moment. Think of it like this. Think of a multi-billion dollar corporation, right? You've got someone who works in the mailroom. Nothing wrong with people who work in the mailroom. They're super important. But if someone who works in the mailroom uh, comes to middle management and tells them to, to sort of execute a multi-million dollar deal, everyone would be like, what? But if the CEO flies in from out of town and gives the same order, then that deal's going to get done immediately, right? Because the CEO has authority, right? So Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? So Jesus' great commission to the remaining 11 and ultimately to us is important and powerful, Important because it consists of Jesus' last words. Powerful because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. That means we probably ought to take these last words pretty seriously, right? It means we probably ought to measure most of what we do as individual followers of Jesus. Certainly together, we as a church, we probably ought to, we probably ought to measure most of what we do against these last words. Because really, they can give us meaning. These last words can give us purpose. They can give us direction. They can give us sense of, of mission, a sense of identity. We ought to measure most of what we do against these last words. Right, so if they're that important, if they're that powerful, then this morning we're going to sort of run through it just slowly, and uh, we're going to talk about them. Are you ready? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Let's stop there for a moment. Therefore, go. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard me say that one of God's favorite things to say in the Bible is this, do not fear or do not be afraid. That's like God's favorite thing to say. I think the next favorite thing that God has to say in the Bible is this, go, go. Now, there's something we have to, have to understand about the Greek here behind the English right? Oftentimes, it's kind of confusing. This is one of those moments where it is not confusing at all. 
Like it's really simple. It's straightforward. It's an imperative. It's a command. He says, go, go, walk, move, do something, put some action to your faith, be intentional about your faith, go. Once again, we're reminded that this faith thing isn't a passive thing. It's an active thing. He says, go. So simple question right off the top with this great commission, therefore go, is can we think of places in our lives where we're, we're putting some intention behind our faith, where we're actually putting it into practice, where we're putting some action behind what we believe? We're all here this morning. It's a pretty good start, Right? We're all gathered together. We woke up. We didn't have to come. No one forced us to came, come, but we decided we're going to go to church. So that's a good start. But this is an hour on Sunday morning. I'm guessing the going that Jesus was talking about was a little bit more, was a bit larger and more expansive than that. Don't you? So what about our going out there? Like think of between Sundays. Right? Think about a relationship that could be mended or reconciled. Think about, think about that person to whom you could extend grace or forgiveness. Think about, think about that neighbor or that coworker in your life or a fellow student who, who maybe you need to include and embrace so that they're not always on the outside looking in. Think, think about something in the world that you see that like irks you. It's just, you know it's not right. And maybe you just begin thinking about what, what can I do to help make that right? Or maybe you already know, and so it's time to take those steps. Think about something in your life, maybe some personal darkness. Begin to make that right. Think about someone in your life who has a need and go ahead and, and try to meet that need. Right? Think about, you fill in the blank. Now, sometimes these things feel risky. Sometimes they feel, they make us nervous. Sometimes they make us uncomfortable. And that's why we talk about faith. We need faith to make it happen. And people of faith just do these kinds of things. Jesus says, go. Therefore, go. Walk. Move. Do something. Put some action behind this thing that you believe in, this thing that you're caught up in. So why don't we think about that? What's the next step? How do we go? How do you go? Let's be intentional about our going. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Go, therefore, therefore, go and make disciples. Make disciples. Let's stop right there again. Make disciples. Again, nothing, there's nothing complicated going on here. Make disciples. Disciples means learners, each of us. And by that, I mean every single one of us. As disciples, each one of us is charged with making more disciples. What does that even mean? Well, maybe it means we're, we're just engaged always in relationships where we're helping people become more like Jesus, where we're helping people understand what it looks like to live and love like Jesus. 
So who are you helping? Who are we helping become little Jesuses, more like Jesus? Who are, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's extended family. Maybe it's, uh, it's neighbors, friends, coworkers. Who are we intentionally helping to become more like Jesus? Who are those people in your life? Where do you even start? Well, maybe I have a suggestion. Maybe we start with what Jesus said is the most important thing. Right? Maybe we start there. Some people came up to Jesus, experts in the law, and they're like, Jesus, what's the most important command? And what did he say? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Maybe that's where we start. And we don't have to make this weird. Like we think about making disciples, and sometimes we, sometimes we Jesus people get all weird about it. Right? We like have to, we, we start thinking like we have to talk to people about where they, do they know where they're going after they die? Or, or like how, what an awkward conversation that is. And has it ever worked very well? Or, or, or there's this thing where we feel like we have to take people down Romans Road, you know? Did you know that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness and there's this chasm and the cross and all that kind of stuff? And we make it weird. Why do we make things weird? We don't have to make it weird. What if we just started with loving our neighbors, our real, actual neighbors? What if we did that? There's a book called Untamed by a couple of really great missiologists named uh, Alan and Deborah Hirsch. Uh, it's a book about discipleship. In it, uh, Deborah tells the story about how she and her friends were, a uh, group of friends from church, were discipling another group of friends that they had. And they didn't make it weird, right? They just started a knitting club, which I realized for some of you is weird. But for them, it was like a thing they loved to do. They loved to knit together, Right? So they got together and they knitted and they had drinks together and it was a fun time. But then they started to engage the world with their knitting practices. They, since they met in a home in the red light district, they're from Australia, by the way, um, they decided to now, you know what the red light district is, right? I don't have to go into detail there. It, they started knitting two scarves. One scarf was for themselves and then they would give another one to a woman who was working on the street who was cold. Then eventually they started doing other things, right? They started cooking for people who lived in, in a trailer park. They started making uh, Christmas packs for the homeless, right? So they were discipling their friends by just loving their friends and engaging them and exposing them to the values of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Right? And over a period of time, this other group of women started to change. And as that transformation began to happen, then all sorts of questions about God and Jesus and church and all that other stuff just came up naturally. And it wasn't weird. So start a knitting club or something like it. Like maybe you like to cook or barbecue or work on small engines or whatever. Start something like that. Therefore, go and make disciples. Who are those people in our lives who are helping to become more like Jesus, learning how to live and love like Jesus? Okay, here's the next thing. Go, therefore, make disciples of 
all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Here's the thing. Jesus had no room for an Israeli-centric world. Pretty sure Jesus has no room for an American-centric world. Jesus' vision is large. It's expansive. Like, it encompasses the whole world. And look, when some of us drive here on Sunday, we pass a lot of churches. A bunch of other churches along the way. Not all nations have it that way. But Jesus' purpose is to extend the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. So how do we live into that reality here? Like in our context, how do we live into that? Make disciples of all nations. Here's the deal. We human beings, and sometimes we church people are the best at this. And by best, I mean we're the worst at it. But we human beings, it's a human thing. We really love dividing up the world, don't we? We love to set up boundaries and barriers that sort we do it all over the place, right? And I suppose the part of the reason we do that is so that we have a place where we feel like we belong, right? We, we feel good about ourselves. But often what happens is we become antagonistic to the people who aren't in our own territory. Have you experienced that at all in the last year and a half? Five years, six years, right? Those people look different. They act different. They have different customs. They, they think differently about whether or not to get vaccinated or wear a mask or you fill in the blank, right? And often we feel threatened because of those people. You know what Jesus says? He essentially says, my love, my grace transcends all those barriers, All of them, all the barriers you set up in the world, my love and my grace transcends all of them. It's for all nations. I don't have time for your artificial boundaries. So maybe we might think about it like this. Where are there boundaries we need to cross? Where are there barriers that we need to step over? Is there a group of people or groups of people that we just don't understand? Maybe we could start by listening and beginning to understand their perspective. Is there a group or groups of people that we just don't like very much? Maybe we flat out disagree. Can we still be engaged? Like, I think Jesus people are supposed to still be engaged. Maybe it's time to to reach out to someone with love and grace in an intentional way. All because Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. I don't have time for your artificial boundaries. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. Let's stop right there again. Baptizing them. So, here's the deal. Baptism is a really large reality. Right? It has so many different angles and so many different ways that we can talk about it. But it isn't just something that I do with a bowl and a baby or an adult and I dip my fingers in and do the thing right? and say the magic words. It isn't just something that, that I do. Bap- baptism is much bigger and richer. And part of what baptism is, it communicates belonging. 
That's part of what baptism is for. It communicates belonging. In other words, when we gather together here in this place, it should be a warm, beautiful, welcoming, hospitable place, right? And a committee can't get that done. A ministry team can't get that done. We can't get like, like, sure, we have greeters and all that kind of stuff, and that's really good. Someone who's doing this intentionally, but it takes an entire community of people to create a warm and hospitable place, even for, even forget this, even for people who don't believe, even for people who, who won't believe. When they got together, some people worshipped, but some doubted. How do we create a space even for that? for questions, for wondering, for not knowing, and it being okay and welcomed and encouraged in some ways, right? That's something that takes a whole group of people, right? And I have to say, you all are pretty good at it, so thank you for that. Therefore, go, make disciples, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them. Teaching them. Now, this isn't something that we can just step, step back from and say, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not, I'm not a teacher. I don't have the gift of teaching, right? Well, let me ask you this. If if you don't have the gift of mercy or the gift of, of generosity, does that mean that you're exempt from being merciful and generous? <laughs> no. Same, same with teaching, right? We don't need to know everything in order to teach. I mean, just ask those of us who teach. You don't have to know everything in order to teach. Right? All we need is something the taught doesn't know yet. Right? And I'm beginning to see, this is, I'm, this is freebie. I'm adding this in here. Uh, I'm, I'm beginning to see the role of, of pastor as teacher a, a little bit differently. Like things are changing, especially over this last year. Uh, things are changing quite a bit. It used to be that the person like me would be considered the expert, and I would stand up front and I would tell you this is what you have to believe. Uh, this, is the, this is the correct way to read the Bible. This is the correct way to read Scripture. I can definitely offer help, right? I went to seminary. I, I got ordained, all that kind of stuff. I'm definitely here. But man, there's so much available out there today. I know. Y'all are listening to how many podcasts? I can't keep up. I can't keep up with all the stuff that you're listening to and reading. I can't. There's no possible way I can do that. But here's what I can do. I can point you in the right direction. Like, I can say this might be helpful. Because I know you're listening. My voice isn't the only voice you're listening to. You're listening to a ton of different voices. So if you ever want to know what I think might be a good thing to tap into, just ask me. I'll help you. Right? I'll point you in the right direction. Right? Look, we have an inherited faith. What we have has been passed down to us. It was taught to us. And we're called to pass it on. Teach it to others. One more thing to say. In the ancient world, whenever an important person sent a messenger, like a king sends a messenger to another king of another nation, something like that, 
When an important person sends a messenger, that messenger was supposed to be treated as if he or she was the important person themselves. Are you with me? So if a king sent a messenger, the other king would treat that messenger as if the messenger was the king of that other nation. So in a sense, when Jesus says, go, I'm sending you, you are my messengers, what he's essentially saying is you are now my representatives, official representatives. You are my presence in the world. We, together, the presence of Jesus in the world. And then he says, oh, by the way, I'll never leave you. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Those, so those, those are Jesus' last words before, before he goes. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Those are important words. And we probably ought to measure most of what we do against them. Just some food for thought this morning. Let's pray.